Alright, we are continuing on in Ephesians. And I tell you, it was, a, it was a challenging week this week. Just I don't know if anyone else felt this, but it was a challenging week to, to just concentrate. Did anyone else feel like it was just a difficult week? to? I just could not concentrate. All week I was, I, I don't know, I, I struggled. I struggled to, to read during the week. I struggled to pray. I struggled to write anything. I, I just, it was just one of those weeks where there was just so much noise around and it's okay to have that. I have that regularly. Jess has that. We have that through times. We, we, we have to try and break down this, this perfect five o'clock reading and, and, and perfect Christianity that we've drawn because it is difficult at times. We see in the scriptures it's difficult. But to push through that, to push through the difficulty, you know, sometimes... I bring myself to a place where I'm questioning, Lord, am I, am I just reading or praying out of obligation? Am I reading or praying out of, out, of, out of religious work? But every time I come away from a time with him, no matter how much I've had to drag myself into that place, I leave feeling refreshed. I leave feeling challenged and encouraged. But sometimes I do. I have to drag myself in. And I think... At times, those reading plans or a strategy to read or a strategy to bring yourself before God is incredibly helpful. And don't see it as a, as a religious mechanic. It's a way to get you deeper into Him. We do that with other stuff in our life and it's not a religious mechanic. We, 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 we encourage ourselves. There's times where I have to drag myself out of bed to the gym and I drag myself. But that, And there's other times where I, I get up and I'm pumped, I'm excited about it. But there's times where you do have to bring yourself before him. There's times where I've gone into prayer where I'm like, Lord, I made it, I'm here. I did my bit. I dragged myself here. What are we doing? Because there is there's times in our walk where it is challenging. There's times where we feel little faith. There's times where we feel discouraged. But a family, what this is, friends that are around you, other Christians, other people who are walking with you, encourage you in those times. One of the things that has been incredible with Jess and I going to the gym together is the times where I don't want to, she drags me out of bed. And the times that she doesn't want to, I'm up with my boots on, let's go. It's when we're both in a don't want to go that it just falls over, right? But that encouragement, having that person with you, walking with you, encouraging you to stay in that place, to stay in, is important. It's, it's okay if you want to say to a friend of yours who you trust in the faith, hey, I'm struggling with this this week. Help me. I need you to walk with me in this. I'm struggling with this. Help me. No idea why I went there, but we went there. If that's you, get somebody in your life. If you have nobody that you can be honest and raw with, that you're struggling in your faith, please, 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 if you hear nothing else today, get that person. If you're doing this on your own, get that person where you can say, hey, man, I'm hurting. I'm struggling. I had a good friend of mine ring me during the week, a very prophetic friend, and he rang me and and. He's a younger guy and he's not long been operating in the prophetic, but he said to me, he rang me, he said, Ben, I'm, I'm struggling with the prophetic right now. He said, I, I don't even know what's up and what's down. I don't, I don't even know if I should be engaging in the prophetic. And I was so honored because I thought, 
this is an incredible place. First, let's start a conversation. I don't have the answers for you, but as a friend, I can help you walk back through. Let's go to the scriptures. Let's unpack what God says. Let's find out what it should look like. But together, because I wasn't in that place, I was able to help him come out of that place. Having somebody that you walk with in your faith to talk it through. Hey, I read this scripture and it makes no sense to me. God wants to kill everybody. Can you help me? Yes. Do you have the answers? No. But I'll help you find them. We can read it together. We can build together. That's what a family is. That's what community is. That's what relationship in Christ is. A brotherhood that stands or a sisterhood or a brother and sisterhood, whichever you like to put it. A family that operates with each other to help bring us out of a situation and into what God has. I really feel at the moment that the church is in a very tricky position. And I feel like, like we've come off the back of 2020 vision. And now we can see all the nonsense. We can see the good stuff, but by jingoes, we can see the bad stuff. I just said by jingoes. Whew, haven't heard that in a very long time. I don't know where that came from. Yeah, I'm, must be getting ready to have kids, eh? That was a joke. That was a joke. Someone said it was a dad joke. I think Aunt said dad joke. Good gravy. <laughs> Quietly, Jess has gone. Um, the church is in an interesting place right now. There was prophesied over 2020 that there would be 2020 vision, and we've seen that vision. We're now living in a place with that vision. And God is, I believe God is saying to us as a people, now, what now? What now? Now that we can see, now that we can see the nonsense, we can see the good stuff, we can see the nonsense. What are you going to do now? And I feel like the church, who she is, needs to step up into who she was always supposed to be. But we need to set our eyes, we need to set our gaze, not on man anymore. But to change our focus, to change what we've been looking for. I spent a lot of this week, maybe why I felt so confused and felt so struggled to to connect, but I, I spent a lot of week listening to a lot of the big voices in the church at the moment and my heart ached. My heart ached because I, I was looking and I was, I was asking God, where are you in this nonsense? Where are you in this? And it wasn't until I read a, a, a post from a guy named Jeremiah Johnson that I actually had a spark of hope and a spark of joy where I said, that's where God is. When there's a rubble, God rebuilds. My God, the God we read in the scriptures is a God of redemption, a God of rebuilding. When the, when, the, when the city was sacked and the walls were filled, he called one man, Nehemiah, to come and to build. There was little hope for the city. In actual fact, they said to him, you can't do this, Nehemiah. It's too broken. And we all know that saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. The bathwater is very murky at the moment. But I want to implore all of us, we've got to find the baby. We've got to search the scriptures and say, God, what are you doing amongst the people? I'm speaking a little bit in riddles and I'll allow you to join the dots. But I know that right now, as a people, as a church, as a, the bride of Christ, which I'm going to get into in a minute, we need to understand what he's saying, not what man is saying. We need to understand what God is doing, not what man is doing. 
Test and test and test and test until the scriptures align with what's in front of you. Test and test and test until the scriptures align with what's being seen. If somebody says something to you, I don't care who they are. I don't care if they're the most important charismatic leader in the land or the Pope. If they say it to you, go back to your scriptures humbly. Don't dishonor the person in front of you, but go back and say, God, what are you doing in this? Show me. If God will show Shan, God will show me. If his heart is open and pure and ready to receive, and mine is, then I will receive as well. But we as a people have to learn how to go back to the scriptures. Stop listening to the things that are around. Stop waiting for the next big news story. Stop waiting for the next big YouTube story. Stop waiting for this thing to come and and, and teach you something, but rather go and ask him. And I have people say to me all the time, yeah, Ben, but that's easy for you because you, you think critically and you, you read widely. But, but I started somewhere as well. I started not being able to do that. I started by saying, Lord, I'm lost and confused. Please can, give me something in your scriptures that I can start to work with. And little by little by little, that's increased. There's other theolog- uh, theological thinkers that I read and I listen to where I go, Man, how does that guy think like that? But then I'm reminded he started where I started. He started where all of you started. I understand the difference in gifts and abilities, but what God is training and teaching, what God is asking for a people, his bride to do, is to listen to my voice again. One of, the, one of the pillars that we found to build this house on and to walk forward is to change our focus. Because so much of the Western church, so much is looking for the next big thing, is looking for the next big guy. You can find it in your scriptures. But we've got to go back and learn how to read. We've got to go back and learn how to give ourselves over once again. A guy named David Pawson, who passed away last year, is a phenomenal teacher. He's hard to listen to because he is monotoned and quite boring sounding, but he is an absolute firehouse. But in his teaching on, on the Ephesians, he argues that, that in the original manuscript for the Ephesians, they, Paul never actually used the word Ephesians. While he wrote the letter to the Ephesian church, he didn't actually use the word that he was actually writing what seems a, a bottom line or a baseline for us to build the church. And I said this last week, I believe that the Ephesian writing is something that we can read today to actually understand how to build and equip the church today. And Paul does something really, really phenomenal that I, I want to, I want to um, break down this morning. But he prays for them in the opening of his letter in Ephesians 1. Chapter 1, verse 15 to 23, which I'm going to read now. But he prays for the church. And in my Bible, I've highlighted it anywhere it just says Ephesians and just, and just put to us, to the church, to our community, to the church in the Gold Coast. Because what he prays here is imperative. And I want us to understand that when you're praying, I want you to go to this and pray for the things he prays for. But I'm going to break each one of them down. 
But from verse 15, he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul never gives, never ceases to give thanks for the Ephesian church, even though it had errors and problems in it. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the work of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places? For above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come, and he put all things under his feet and he gave him his head and he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul makes a prayer of thanksgiving, but he prays, I think, very strategically to say, these are some of the things you're going to need to operate as the body of Christ. In this prayer that seems like a nice little opener that we do at some of our meetings, he actually writes down some of the most imperative things for the church to operate. When people look at our lives, they should see elements, because we're not in the fullness, but elements of Jesus Christ. People shouldn't have to, I've said this a hundred times, people shouldn't have to ask you if you're a Christian. They should know that something's different. Why? Because your life will look different when you start to live out the things that he's put us in. Your life will start to look different when you, when you operate in who he is. The, and, and you know, the most interesting thing that I've been asked a few times, the most interesting thing is, hey, why are you so full of joy? Why are you so happy all the time? That's the one that most Christians get asked. Why, like Almost like it's annoying to people. Why are you so, why are you so happy all the time? Because in Christ, we receive a level of joy that actually stirs us and moves us to ooze happiness and ooze excitement in our life. Whereas without Christ, there's almost like there's this dark cloud of, of doom and gloom around people. But one of the things, one of the first things Paul asks, or he prays for the church in Ephesus, he prays for the church in the Gold Coast, is the spirit of wisdom. The first thing he says, for you to operate church, you are going to need a spirit of wisdom. And I've preached about this from this barrel so many times. But the Old Testament and the New speaks about wisdom as, a, as an incredibly important thing the whole way through the Scriptures. Almost every one of Paul's letters speaks about you are going to need wisdom. You are going to need the Spirit of God that brings about wisdom. When we go into a situation, when we go into our lives, there's two things at play. right? There's, this, there's the wisdom from above, like James talks about, and the wisdom from below. There's light and dark. There's good and evil. There's the kingdom of righteousness, the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of darkness. There's two opposing forces pulling each, each where we go, everywhere we go, and every decision we make. There's a, there's a wrestle for us to make a decision. But the thing is, is that we get the power and the authority to make that decision in every instance we go into. We get to decide the wisdom from above or the wisdom from below. 
And it's funny, when you start talking to a friend, hey, bro, I've got this um, situation that's in front of me. Um, these are my two options. I know what the right option is, but I tell you what, I'm leaning well and truly toward the other option. Why? Because one serves me and the other one serves those around me. And I don't want to serve those around me because I'm hurting right now. But it's interesting when people ring to uh, or talk to you about, hey, what should I do in this instance? You go, you know what to do. 99.999% of the time, you know what to do. When you've got two areas in front of you, you know the good one. You know what's going to bring you into Him and into righteousness. But it's the hardest decision to make. Why? Because it serves those around you, doesn't serve you. And it's hard to let that go. But all through our Christian walk, this is what we're doing, asking God, bring, a, bring about a spirit of wisdom. Galatians 5.17 says this, The desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these oppose to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The things that we want to do are the things of the kingdom. But it's the, it's the darkness, it's the, it's the other side of the coin that makes us do something that we get to and almost every time we get to the end of it and we go, why did I do that? I never wanted to do that. When I first read this in Galatians, I thought that the things we wanted to do were the things of, of evil, the things of darkness. But that's not what he's saying. He's actually saying the things you want to do are the things of God, the kingdom of light. Because when you come to the end of the things you've done in God, in the kingdom of God, you feel joy, peace, excitement. It's real hard to feel crummy after giving someone a $1,000. But it, it's real easy to feel crummy after stealing $1,000. See, we, we think that our makeup is to to want to do the things that are bad. But when we were born again, when we became new creations, our DNA, like I said last week, makes us a resident of heaven operating in the earth. So our DNA changes. Who we, be, who we are and how we operate changes. But we have to think first kingdom. We have to think first kingdom. I was talking to Timmy. I couldn't find the name of the book. So if I tell this story wrong, you have to me smack but Tim and I were chatting about a book that he was reading and he told a story that's perplexed me a little bit and I've been thinking quite a bit through it but what's the name of the book the train story seven habits of highly effective people but he tells this story where a guy gets on a train and he's sitting in a in a, in a train carriage in New York, like a subway carriage, and it's really peaceful and quiet, and he's on his way to work. And there's a few people in the carriage, but there's this peace and there's this centrality, and he explains the beauty of the train and how he can see things passing by and how, how incredible it is. He says, and then they get to one of the stops, and, a, and a, a dad gets on with two kids, and he slumps down in the chair and, and kind of puts his head down like he's going to have a sleep. And his two kids start screaming and terrorizing the carriage and upset the, the peaceful joy that was in the carriage beforehand. And the, the writer feels as though he's, he's quite an eloquent speaker and, and he a, he's a, can, can really talk to this guy. So he thinks, you know what, I'm going to go and tell this guy he needs to get his kids under control because he's wrecking the whole train. So he goes and sits down next to the father and he says to the father, hey, do you think you should maybe rein your kids in a bit because it's wrecking the train? 
And the father goes, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, I guess I could train. I could get them. So he gets the kids in. And then he says to this guy who's seemingly a little bit upset, a little bit angry, a little bit frustrated, he says, yeah, their, their mother just passed away and we've been up all night and we're on our way home from the hospital. And this guy shifts from anger and frustration towards the father instantly to apathy and care. How can I help this dad? How can I change his small train ride? So what he was thinking in the beginning was, this is all about me. My train piece has been upset. So he acts out of the kingdom of of darkness, out of the kingdom of the world to go and give this father a good slam like he deserves. But when he sits down and he actually peels back the story, he realizes, I should have shown this guy apathy. Sorry, empathy. I should have cared for this empathy. I should have shown this guy empathy. I should have cared for this guy. Now I want to help him. If we could shift the way we see things and always give people the benefit of the doubt, always step into the kingdom of light, and I'm preaching to myself here. When you see somebody, you're like, what is this guy doing? Guess what? You don't know what he's doing. You don't know where he's been. You don't know how you can change his day. You don't know how you can shine a light in a dark place. And God is asking us right off the bat to step in to his wisdom and say, Lord, what's happening here? But we often act first out of the wisdom from below without saying, God, what are you doing here? Why am I here? So when the guy gets on the train, Lord, why am I here? Because you need to help this guy. I put you here to help him. Okay, let's go. How do I do it? Why am I here? That's the wisdom. Everything we go into, God is saying, draw on my wisdom. Draw on who I am because there's a bigger picture taking place. You know, the, the, the Israelites, I feel for them when Jesus would have died on the cross because it would have got to this place where it would have felt empty. It would have felt, this is, I don't understand. He just died. Those three days must have been excruciatingly difficult. Excruciatingly difficult. Because everything they just put the last three years of their life, everything they just built towards, he just died. It's over. But they didn't understand the bigger picture. They didn't understand the manifold wisdom of God that says my way in this is bigger than yours. Watch what I'm going to do. I preached that in Habakkuk. You will be amazed by what I will use in this time. You will be amazed by what I will do. But it's my wisdom, not yours. So Paul is saying to the church, seek my wisdom because it's bigger than yours. It's better than yours. It'll change the grid that you see. People won't believe you. People won't see you. But but it's okay. You know where I'm taking you. You know where I'm going. He then continues on and he prays that they would have a revelation in knowing him, a revelation of knowing him. John 17, 3 says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, that they know you, that they know you. Right, we get that scary verse. I can't remember where it is, but we get that scary verse that, that we get to heaven we say, I've done all these things, Lord. Yeah, but you didn't know who I was. Marcus isn't here, but I'm sure you'd be okay if I shared this. But Marcus was telling me that he was, he was reading and spending some time with God. And, and he felt impressed on his heart. And he wrote it down. He showed me. I, I, I was, I mean, saying I cried isn't a big deal. But I was, very, I was very changed emotionally when I read it. Because he wrote, 
God showed him, you've seen, you've seen so many blind eyes open, but yet you're still blind yourself. And I said, bro, that's, that sounds like the most difficult challenge. He looked at me, he's like, I know. I've been out on the streets pressing for God, pressing to see him move, pressing to see people healed, people brought to, and he realized that I've been so distant from the Father. And he said, but I want to make you know me. I want you to know me. I want to invite you in, not to make you sorry. I want to invite you in to know me. And how incredible that Paul prays that, to know him. And Jesus says, it's eternal life to know me. And he says, you're going to struggle with this church. So I'm going to pray that you will have revelation knowledge of him, to go deeper and deeper into revelational knowledge. Revelation, that word revelation is a Greek word, 601, apocalyptus. And it means to appear, to lighten, to manifest, and to reveal, to make known, to appear, to lighten, to manifest, to reveal, to make known, is, is, is revelation. The Passion Translation puts it, to deepen your intimacy with Him. That revelation is to deepen your intimacy with Him. Every Sunday when I drive past and we see all the churches starting to have people walk in and gather, my prayer for, for all three of these houses that meet is the same every Sunday. Lord, let us see you and let us know you more. Because it, that challenge goes past doctrinal understanding, goes past theological understanding, goes straight to the heart of the matter. Whatever it looks like, may we know you more. Whatever, it, however it takes place, if there's yelling and screaming, if there's wooden pews and silence, whatever it is, it doesn't matter so long as we leave this building, we leave our time together having worshipped him and having known him a little bit more. That's all there is to this. Glorify his name wherever you are in whatever situation you're in and seek to know him more and to know him more. That's the reality of us coming together as a body. That's the reality of the church joining together, arms linked, to say, Lord, I want to know you. But then we get challenged with, with Paul's writing to the Corinthians where he says in uh, 1 Corinthians 8.1, concerning food offering to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge, but that knowledge, this knowledge, puffs up but rather love builds up that there's this knowledge that he speaks of that puffs us up without going too much into it there's 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 two different understandings we also see proverbs 15 14 it says the heart of him who understands seeks knowledge but the mouth of fools feeds on folly so we get these two understandings to seek knowledge but knowledge puffs up and it makes us somebody we don't want to be the first thing is that there's different understandings of knowledge, different words. One's a Greek word, one's a Hebrew word, and they mean different things. The first one, the first knowledge in Corinthians is the word gnosis, and it means intellect. It actually means scientific, something that can be proven when you, when you observe it for a long period of time. But the knowledge that's getting talked about in Proverbs, the knowledge that's getting put, talked about in Proverbs is the Hebrew word tahath, and it means awareness, recognition, and familiarity. The knowledge that Paul is talking about to the Ephesians is that exact knowledge that we become aware, that we recognize, that we become familiar with God. 
It's not a knowledge up here. It's a knowledge in our heart that reveals a deeper understanding of the Father. It's not knowledge for knowledge's sake. It's knowledge because I want to know you more because my heart can be filled and enlightened. I don't want to know my wife more so that I can pass a test at the end of our marriage and get full marks. That's not my journey to know her more. My journey for wanting to know my wife more is because as I know her more, I can widen my love for her. I can, I can find parts that I never knew before. I'd never seen that before. And that's the beauty of a marriage is that you get, to, you get to find the hidden things over years and years and years where you go, wow, I didn't know that I could love you for that. But that's the knowledge that God's talking about that brightens, sorry, widens our understanding of him so that we can pour more love into him. It's not so that we can get to the end and pass a test and be the smartest guy with a hundred books and a massive crowd to preach to. It's, Lord, I want to know you so that I can love you deeper. I want to know you more so that I can love you more. That's the reality of the love that Paul's talking about. And he's praying to say there's a revelation in knowing him. So we were at a wedding yesterday. He's talking about marriage and stuff. My heart's been pumping all morning because as I worshipped led this morning, I could not see any of you. All I saw was the dance floor of this wedding we were at last night. And we observed it. We sat with each other. We were talking about it all night because whatever the songs that were coming on were dictating who would join the dance. So, for example, my wife... Jess would come on for certain songs and then they would leave. But there was one boy that never stopped, never stopped running, never stopped dancing, and he was going round and round and round. And I thought about it this morning because I was asking God, why are some people engaging in worship and seemingly other are not? What's going on here? And what God was showing me, this little boy, he had the music in his heart. He had like what Ben was saying, he, 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 what, his name actually, Eli, means my God. He knew what he was doing. He was there for the joy. He was there for nothing was dictated by what was going on around him. And it was just such a, such a powerful picture. And I think Ben, ben didn't, didn't stop laughing at it the whole night. He was like, bro, look at this kid. Look at this kid. He does not stop. And I think what, what Benny is talking about, there's great truth in that. that I want to be like him. When I come to church... I want to be here, not dictated what the songs are, what I'm learning. I want to have this love, this relationship in my heart. I want it to be real. Matthew 13, on that, Matthew 13 says this. Matthew 13, 13. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. There's times in our Christian walk where it doesn't make sense. You know, watching this kid last night, it, he ran around the dance floor 
since the music started till just about the music stopped. And he ran and ran and ran and ran. And nothing was going to stop him. People going on the dance floor, coming off. To the fact where his mum said, I'm just not going to go on the dance floor because he just won't leave me alone. And he's just, he's just, he's in it so much. But you know, as we begin to delve deeper and deeper into the heart of God, the noise around us begins to quieten and quieten and quieten because it becomes less and less, I don't care. Why? Because I've seen the intricate parts of the heart's heart, of the Father's heart. I've seen things that they haven't seen. You don't understand why I'm like this because you've not seen what I've seen. You've not understood the intricacies of the Father's heart like I do. And that's okay. I'll help you get there, but you've got to let me be who I am. In actual fact, I don't need your permission. I'm going to be who I've seen God ask me to be. While I was preparing this, there was an interesting film that, that jumped in my heart, a, a brutal film, an awesome but very sad film, a film called Patch Adams. And there's a scene in Patch Adams where um, Patch, the guy who's um, Robin Williams, is playing. He's in like a psych ward and he's, he's trying to understand his life in a psych ward and he meets this old guy who was an old inventor. And, and at the beginning of the film, the old inventor comes up and he shows him four fingers. And he's walking around asking everybody, how many fingers am I holding up? And Patch at the beginning, he says four. And the old guy goes, oh, you're wrong. You're just like everybody else. You don't see it. You're just like everybody else. And he walks off. And Patch is a little perplexed by this. And he walks through this understanding, asking, asking people around what his deal was. And everyone explains the old guy is just a crazy old inventor that lost his mind. But Patch takes the time to actually get a relationship with this guy and start to speak with him. And he asks him, I don't understand, tell me. And he shows him his fingers. He says, how many fingers am I holding up? He says, four. He says, no, you don't. You're not looking properly. And you can see Patch is pretty perplexed by this. What do you mean I'm not looking properly? He says, look past the problem and look forward onto the solution. And as you see, you see Patch look past it and he looks through with similarly cross-eyed and he has eight fingers because his eyes are crossed. And he says, eight. And the old man gets overjoyed. But the, the, the point for me in that was... It wasn't until he generated a relationship with the old man and found out what are you saying that he realized, wow, I get it now. And then Patch, from that moment, he changes his whole life, right? He realizes, I've not been looking at people through who they really are. I've been looking, I've been looking at what I see, but I'm not looking past them into what someone else sees. God is asking us like that little boy to instead of take him and go, what a crazy little boy, someone stop him, but to go, what is he seeing that I'm not seeing? What is being revealed to him in his heart that's not being revealed to me in mine? God, who is this person really? That when we ask to know the Father more and he reveals himself more, we become more and more in love with him because we see things we never saw before. We begin to understand just what the cross means. We begin to understand what his love means. We begin to understand what being a temple of his Holy Spirit really means. That when people say to you, hey, hey, how can you be so excited about this? Because I know who I am and I know who he says I am. Yeah, but that makes no sense to me. Yeah, because you've not got on the journey into the depths of his heart. Let me show you how to come along with me. That's discipleship. It's not, let me show you how to read the Bible so you can answer questions. No, let me take you on a journey deeper into the Father's heart so that you know what I know. So that you can pass a test. No, so that you can love Him like I love Him.
there's so much more than that, that we could stay here forever. Let me just say this one. There's a guy named Blaise Pascal who was a French mathematician, a physicist, inventor, philosopher, but he was a, he was a theologian in, in the early, early days of, of Catholicism in the, as a Catholic theologian. But he said this, which I think is, is incredible. He says, The heart has its reasons, which reason does not know. We feel it in a thousand things. The heart has its reason, which reason does not know. We feel it in a thousand things. Who's ever made a decision... Who's ever made a decision that you can't explain and everyone else thinks you're loony because you made it, right? And you can't explain it. And, and often in the world we say, my heart's just telling me a business deal or um, you know, a, a relationship or something that you've bought or a house and you go, I don't know why, I, just, I can't explain it. My heart's just saying do it. See, we, we'll map that away as just, well, it's a heart's feeling. No, that's the Holy Spirit connecting with your soul, your mind, will, and emotions, and giving you something that's not on your grid, that's explaining something that you can't explain anymore. So often people say, well, God doesn't speak to me. But, but the other day, the other day, I just felt that I had to do something. Well, guess what? That's God speaking to your, your spirit, man, that your soul, your mind, will, and emotions cannot explain. I just got to give this guy 500 bucks. Why? I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just feel it in my heart. So then you give it to him and everyone goes, you're insane. That was your rent money. And you go, I don't know. I can't explain it to you. And even then when, when, when a miracle comes and someone comes and gives you twofold, you $1,000 or something or, or whatever, whatever the story is, you don't, you don't get any money, but the real estate agent calls you and says, hey, you've already double paid rent. You don't need to pay rent this week. Even ringing that person to say, hey, I just want to tell you, I understand it now. It still makes no, no sense to them. But God in you has moved and flowed through. It's been a connection from your spirit to your head to bypass your understanding because you don't understand it real well. But God says, but your spirit does because he's in me and I in him. So let me, let me show you something you're not going to quite get. Trying to explain to my family why I, I finished a, my degree in criminology and, and then got offered honors and turned it down to go and work as part, part-time at a radio station made zero sense. And then why I would spend all that money on student fees to have a degree in a field that I wanted my, to go into my whole life doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But my answer was, I don't know. I just know this is where I've got to go. And to this day, you know, a, a good lot of my family doesn't understand and I can't explain it because there is no real logic to it other than I just know that my heart said go, so I've gone. And I just know that I want to follow God and this is where he's asked me to go, so I've gone. But it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It doesn't compute because God's wisdom is bigger and better than ours. Because God is asking us to know him deeper. And Paul's saying you need to know him. Why? Because when he speaks, you need to know his voice. When he speaks, you need to know that that's his voice. My mom can do this atrociously loud whistle. And I got four older brothers. We used to go and swim in, in, in the ocean and mum would come to the top of the, the dune and just whistle. And instantly we knew what it was. Everyone just out the water, start running, go home, it's home time. Mum would come, whistle, off she'd go. That's enough. They'll know what to do. Why? Because we knew our mother's voice. I knew my, what, what my mum was doing there. 
if my eyes were closed and my dad walked in and spoke, I would knew, know my father's voice where I'd be like, that's Pappy. It's P-Rad. He's here. Because I know his voice. God wants us to go deeper into his heart so that we know his voice. So when he speaks, we don't have to wonder, God, is this you? Because we know his voice. Right? Even Samuel brought himself to a position where he didn't know, God, is that you? I love that story because it draws you closer. Samuel, not quite sure, but as a kid willing to see more. God, is it you? I want to know. I want to know. Like a child trying to work out, God, is it you? Are you bringing me into this? God, uh, sorry, Paul, the apostle writing to us as a church, he continues on in his prayers and he says this, he says that we know the hope in which God has called us. He prays for the church. He prays for the people that we will know the hope that God has called us. Kat, you are very, very good at your job back there. You are, you are a champion. I didn't write down where it was, so you found it. Well done. Paul's prayer, that church, you will know, you will know the hope in which God has called us. Do you know who you are? Do you know what the power of the cross has done in your life? Do you know the significance of the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you know that he is king and that his kingdom will reign in your life? If you don't know the answers to these questions, go and ask God. Not so that you can come and say, hey Ben, I did my homework, I did what you asked, but so that you can sit down and go, oh my goodness, God, I never knew that you were this good. I never knew that you were this powerful. I never knew that you were this glorious in my life. I never knew that your blood could do so much. I never knew that the cross was so important. Every time I... I God reveals more about the power of the cross. I'm so blown away. Although this is something that we will never ever be able to be thankful enough for, Jesus dying on the cross, our sins being forgiven, and us going back into his kingdom is just the beginning of what the cross achieved. And that is enough for us to spend the rest of our life learning. But it's just the beginning. The significance of Jesus Christ coming down from heaven and dying on that cross, rising again and ascending back up is so intricately important to our lives that the more we study it, the more perplexed we become by him, the closer we, we get to him, the more amazed I am. The fact that Jesus, sorry, the fact that God had that planned from Abraham that when he called Abraham up Mount Moriah, when he called him up that place to say, bring your son with, he knew from that very place, I'm going to take my son to this same place and I'm going to do so you don't have to, Abraham. If you study that mountain, it's the same mountain. The place that Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice is the same place that Jesus was sacrificed the intricacies of the plan of God to bring us back into his fullness is mind-boggling. He knew it all along that he wanted you. As a kid, I used to think about being saved and I, I, I don't know why I thought like this, I guess just the way my brain worked, but I used to think about a massive room of people 
and, and you know, because we say God died for all of us. And, and I was just this little guy at the back. And I was in the group, but I was just an insignificant guy at the back of a room full of people. And it wasn't until a preacher came and, and he spoke about the fact and in his preaching he pointed at me and I don't even know if he knew or ever knew what it meant for me, but he said, God died for you specifically. And right then I realized, wow, I wasn't just one of a million in a room. He specifically died for me. It changed my grid on the cross. It changed my grid because Jesus saw me, Ben, Funny looking fellow with a beard. He saw me in that moment. He saw my face. That should grip us to a place where we go, man, God, I want to know you more. I want to know you more. You know, we hear stories of people who have had heart transplants or liver transplants and they want to reach out to the family of the person who gave it to them. Because they just want to thank them. They want to know them. Please tell me about his life. Why? Because you saved my life. I just want to know who you are. What made you such an incredible person? Jesus saved our life. He gave us the most incredible blood transplant we could ever hope for. He created us as new people. And he's saying, come to me. Come and know who I am. And I'll reveal more and more to you. That we know the hope in which God has called us. God knows who you are. He knows where you've been. He knows what you've done. He knows what you haven't done. And yet he still smiles upon us. He still is overjoyed with us. He's still delighted in us. He is still in love with us. Regardless of any of that, he says, I know who you are. I know what I put in you and I'm calling you to a higher place. The fact that God in all my stuff ups, in all my mess could say to you, Ben, come higher, come deeper into me, that he would plead with me, please, Ben, put that down and come into me. Whereas we would go, hey, just, you want that? You stay over there with him. But God is saying, come into me. There's more for you. There's more for what's taking place in this. He continues on to say that, to pray for the Ephesian church, for the church on the Gold Coast. He continues to say, knowing the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and understanding the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Knowing the riches of God's glorious inheritance. Where? In us. The glorious inheritance of the Father is in you. We operate, like I said last week, we operate from a place with the creator of the universe, God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, operating and situated from a place within us. He's put so much in you. So when we close our eyes at night, when we look at the mountain before us, when we look at the challenges in front of us, God has already overcome that challenge. He's bigger than the mountain you, you face. He's bigger than the thing that's before you. But we forget our intellect gets in the way and we forget who our spirit man is. We forget where we've been placed and who we are, that he's called us in to him and he in us. And he's saying, remember and know the riches of who you are. If you go to somewhere like Saudi Arabia, the princes are royalty. They are treated like royalty. 
They do and, and they, they move and go where they want to go. There's people who look after them. They declare things. They say things. That's the royalty of who they are. God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, has made you royalty in him. He's allowed us to be in a place where we say, God, I know who I am. I'm my father's son. I'm my father's son. And like I said before, that doesn't mean that I get to walk around and and declare Ferraris and, and declare this and declare that. But I get to say, I'm my father's son. His kingdom is where I get to rule and reign and carry who he is. So when I step into a room, guess what? I declare the goodness of his kingdom. When I step into a situation, I declare the goodness of his kingdom and I get to carry an authority into that place because he's made me a priest. He has made me royalty in that place. Understand the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And then he finishes it with this. All of this, all of this in accordance with the knowledge, sorry, all of this in, a, in the accordance with the working of his great might. Everything that we have been given, everything that we have been given is to fulfill and to operate in the glory of the Father God. When you get tools that go into a toolbox, those tools get used to build something. But when you finish, people don't stand around and clap the tools, right? It's not, wow, you really used that hammer really well, right? Or, geez, that guy sawed like I've never seen someone saw before. The tools are a means to an end to build what's been asked to be built. The gifts and the, uh, and the things that God's put in you are for his glory to build what he's asked us to build. So what, what was the mandate in the garden? It was given to Adam and Eve. Subdue the earth, extend the garden. And then we see Jesus again reiterate, love the Lord your God and love all those out. So learn how to love the Father. Love those around you. Expand the garden. That's the mandate that was given back in the beginning. That's still the mandate we uphold today. Expand the kingdom of God by loving God and loving those around us. Everything else is a tool given to achieve that which God has asked us and to to relish in his glory. The things that he pours out on us are to see that completed in his love, love for him. Does that make sense? God is, Paul is saying, to finish, Paul is saying to the Ephesian church, remember all of this incredible stuff you've been given, the the power that's in you, the glorious might that's been given. Remember all that, who you are as a son, as a royal priesthood, as an heir. Remember all of that, but never ever forget that it's all been given in accordance with his work and his great might. The fact that I can stand up here and preach the way that God's asked me to preach is because of his great work and his great might. It has nothing to do with advancing Ben's kingdom. It has everything to do with advancing his kingdom. And he finishes Ephesians 1, 21, 23 with this. For above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age that is to come. He put all things, all things, all things. I don't normally do this, but I like to do this because we need to do this. Everyone say all things. 
now say it like you actually mean it and that there's things that you're hidden that you go, but maybe not that. All things. Let's go. Yes. All things. He has put all things under his feet and gave him as head, who? Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God is the ruler and reigner over all things. He is the head of us, the church. He is the one who who directs us. He's the one who leads us. He's the one who sends us where we're to go. And he is the ruler over all things. He is king and victor over all things. So when we get ourselves into a jam that we can't quite see out of, we know that he who is our head is the ruler and reigner over all things. His name, Jesus, Yahweh, breaks down the things that are before us. It doesn't always look the way we want it to look. It doesn't always turn out the way we want it to turn out. It may not always be the way that 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 guy who prophesied, quote-unquote, to you is going to be. Maybe it's a little different. Maybe he missaw something. Maybe, but God is the ruler and the reigner, and he will bring you in to the place he wants you to be because he is above all things. Does that make sense? Does that get anyone a little bit excited? Just a smidge. Why don't we stand? Just open your hands like this. Why? Because we want to receive what God has imparted into us. When we open our hands as a sign of surrender, when the Bible talks about worship, it speaks about us surrendering. So we open ourselves up, Lord, to you. God, we open ourselves up in remembrance of who you are, Lord, to act on your behalf, Jesus. But Lord, we declare you as head in our life. We declare you as king, ruler and reigner in our life. You are everything that we are. Lord, we thank you that your love is immeasurable. God, that you know us, that you know the very desires of our heart, that you love us more than we can ever begin to understand, that you have a plan for us greater than one we could ever map out or draw out, that you are the one who's fashioned our life, Lord. But God, we ask right now for your wisdom, Jesus. We ask right now for you to come and reveal your heart to us in how you want us to live, where you want our feet to stand. Lord, we ask that you will reveal an intimate knowledge of you, that our hearts will be set on fire to know you more and to see you more. God, let us understand the power and authority you've placed in us. God, let us understand the importance of your cross, the beauty of your death, resurrection and ascension. God, let us see more of you in our lives. Let us see less of ourselves, Lord, and more of you. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord. 
Let us see the things that you need us to see. Reveal your heart to us. And Lord, let us draw on the wisdom from heaven in every situation we operate in, Lord. God, we love you. We honor you. Jesus, we honor you. Glorious and holy one. We declare your kingship in this house, Lord. We declare your kingship in this nation. We declare your kingship in this city. You are ruler and reigner. You are all that we are, the Holy One, Lord, and we worship you. We glorify your name. And in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.